Thank you for listening to the Voices of UMass Chan, featuring the people, ideas, and advances of UMass Chan Medical School. From UMass Chan Medical School, this is the Voices of UMass Chan. I'm your host, Jennifer Berryman. It is a sobering statistic. One in every eight men in the United States will at some point in their life be diagnosed with prostate cancer, according to the American Cancer Society. Our guest today is a scientist here at UMass Chan who is investigating a certain type of cell and its role in prostate cancer. Marcus Rossetti is an assistant professor of molecular cell and cancer biology. Thanks so much for making time to speak with us, Dr. Rossetti. Thanks, Jen, for having us and having this platform to really share uh, some of the research we're doing here at UMass. We're really interested in learning more about this. So as an aside, you recently received a large $800,000 research scholar grant from the Cancer Society to advance your research specifically into senescent cells. And so can we start right there and tell the folks who are listening what are senescent cells and what do you see as their role in the progression of prostate tumors? Thanks for asking. One in eight men are diagnosed with prostate cancer. And many of these, you know, happen late in life and really don't need to be treated. And then some other ones actually become very aggressive and need to be treated. And so one thing we're trying to understand is why some become aggressive and, and need treatment and others don't. And so one thing we're studying is senescence. So what is senescence? So senescent is sort of a Greek word for aging. So when any cells in our body get damaged, so say like from sunlight or things we're eating, they, instead of dying, they can sort of become this damaged cell, this senescent cell, and it sort of sticks around. The reason they're there is to sort of alert your body that there's some damage. And usually what will happen is your immune system will find these damaged senescent cells and, and clear them out um, and sort of restore your health and your organs and your tissues. Um, but a lot of times, especially when you age, these senescent cells linger and they can actually do damage to your tissues over time. We're really trying to understand the role of senescence in cancer. And we and other people have actually found in, in human prostate cancer and also other prostate cancer markers of these senescent cells. And we're trying to understand, you know, what is this good senescent cell that could activate immune response against cancer versus a bad senescent cell that could really promote uh, tumor genesis and be a biomarker of this more aggressive disease. And maybe to put a finer point on one thing you said, so not all senescent cells are necessarily bad. Not all senescent cells necessarily lead to cancer, but when they linger in the body and they don't get flushed out by the immune system, that is when you would want to start monitoring them because it would potentially be a, a, an indicator of a higher risk. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So the other thing we're, we're thinking, you know, so naturally the immune system, your immune system should be able to clear these out, but over time, as you age, a lot of times they don't. And so we know others are working on a whole sort of uh, type of therapeutic called senotherapeutic, right? Or synolytic. And so synolytic just kills a senescent cell. So we, we and others are interested in these, these synolytic therapies as a way to design a drug to specifically kill these senescent cells um, that might be potentially bad, that might be leading to the disease progression. So is there a way to find out, like, can you do a blood test to determine if there are senescent cells in, in person's body? So there are sort of two hallmarks of senescent cells, right? One is that they don't grow, right? So they sort of stop growing. So 
right? In some ways that can be good for cancer, right? Cancer conceptually is just your cells keep growing and they don't stop, right? So naturally senescence, if it causes them not to grow, should be a good thing. But the second hallmark of senescence that leads to why it can be sort of tumor promoting is that senescence cells secrete lots of molecules. So these are proteins that can signal to other cells in your body. One way these secreted proteins can activate immune responses, but in other ways they can actually, you know, promote progression or actually inhibit immune responses. So getting back to your point, because these are secreted factors, right, they're secreted into the bloodstream. So there is potential to use these factors, these proteins secreted by senescent cells, and potentially use that as sort of a blood test to say, oh, this patient has very high levels of these secreted factors that may be coming from a senescent cell. Maybe this is suggesting that they might have aggressive disease, or it might suggest, oh, we could treat with maybe a therapy to kill these senescent cells. So I'm really curious, and I'm hoping you'll take a couple minutes to describe the research that you're doing now into these senolytic therapies and specifically how those therapies can really target prostate cancer, maybe hopefully better than current therapies. So the way we're approaching this, and a great thing about being at UMass is we're very collaborative on the research side. So we're working with Christina Baer, who runs um, an imaging core facility here, Dory Schaefer as well, who does a lot of neuroinflammation, to do this sort of newish technique called spatial transcriptomics that allows us to do at the single cell level, use different markers that we and others have described as senescent cells to understand the, di the different senescence populations. So as I'm mentioning, right, some of these are good senescent cells, some are bad, meaning some promote tumor growth, some suppress it. So we're using the spatial transcriptomics as a way to pick out markers of the different senescent populations. And so we're hoping to use this sort of new technology to find these sort of bad senescent cells and, and, and markers they express, molecules they express, design new therapies to target just sort of the bad senescent cells while leaving the good ones intact. And getting back to therapy, yes. Yeah, so most patients that, uh, prostate cancer patients that have advanced cancer get hormone therapy and many respond very well, but unfortunately many relapse on that and they form what's called castration resistant prostate cancer. And there, there's really not many effective treatments. There's some chemotherapy that works for a few months. There, there are other androgen receptor antagonists that work, you know, uh, for a little bit, but there's nothing really curative at that stage. And so a big thing in cancer biology and treatment over the last decade has been the advent of immunotherapy. Immunotherapy is sort of using a drug or an antibody to activate your own immune system to target cancer. And this has worked amazingly in melanoma. It's worked in lung cancer extremely well. They're set of a, especially solid tumors, um, prostate cancer being one of them, that... Um, <clears throat> that just don't have a lot of immune cells in there. So even when you treat with these immunotherapies, nothing happens. A big part of our lab is understanding why these immunotherapies don't work in cancers like prostate cancer and trying to find combinations with immunotherapy that do work. What we're finding is these sort of bad senescent cells that linger um, actually suppress types of immune cells. So one immune cell type that immunotherapy targets are T cells. And your T cells in your body are very good if they can recognize the cancer cell killing it. And we think the senescent cells in these molecules they secrete have a lot to do with that. And so what we're hoping is that 
not only to design these senolytic therapies to kill these senescent cells, but we're hoping that that will, by doing that, that will bring in more immune cells into these tumors. And now when we combine that with immunotherapy that are approved for other cancer types, can this immunotherapy now function much better? So we're basically using targeting senescence as also a way to reactivate the immune system and combine with other immunotherapies that are already on the market. That is so interesting. And so that would be sort of the ultimate good news outcome from the research that you have ongoing. Yeah. So I think by there, there are two things, right? One in localized disease early on, could senescence biomarkers or perhaps their secreted molecules in the blood be used as a diagnostic or prognostic tool to say this patient might be developing a more aggressive cancer, right? And two, more at the late stage, right, once they develop this castration-resistant prostate cancer that doesn't have a lot of effective therapies, could this be tell us new effective therapy combinations, um, in particular to activate the immune system to clear out the very aggressive cancer. And I know this is sometimes a dangerous question to ask, but is there any sort of timeline as to how long these research studies will be going on? Yeah, so in terms of the timeline, the good news is we've already tested in some of our animal models. We've actually shown that treating with senolytics in these mouse models of prostate cancer can actually have some therapeutic benefits. So what we're doing now is we're trying to sort of design, I mentioned some of the spatial transcriptomics, new biomarkers of these senescent cells and new drugs. So this might take the order of two to three years sort of to do this analysis in our mouse models. And the hope is that we find something effective. The great thing about being here at UMass is we also have a lot of interactions with the clinical side to bring this in the clinic, either as biomarkers or as sort of early phase trials. And the good news is that a lot of one of the therapies we're sort of trying have been FDA approved as single agents for other cancer types. So that allows us to more easily potentially translate that into patients. That's such a exciting time. And so we'll be following the progress of your research um, with a watchful eye. I want to talk a little bit more about your time outside the lab, besides dedicating your career to oncological research, you also spend some of your personal time raising money to support cancer-related research, um, particularly taking part in the annual UMass Cancer Walk. I'm just curious what drives you and your family to participate in that way. I think all of us know someone, a family member, a friend affected by cancer. Um, I think it's really something that brings the community together. And, you know, what we do in the lab is important, but eventually we want to, um, you know, raise awareness, tell people sort of what we're doing, um, and eventually get this into patients, right? So I think it's important. These cancer walks are amazing events to bring together the community, to share our research, to come together. And also as, for us as researchers to realize people are really um, excited about the research, about new drugs and new ways to treat these devastating diseases for them and their family members. Thank you. Yeah, there's so many patients out there just holding on to hope. And there's no better place to look for hope than research because... Even though it takes time, it's uh, moving faster than it ever has. Um, and you also come from a, a family of scientists, as I understand it. Was this always, was this your destiny? Was this always something that was in the cards for you? Yeah, no, it's funny you ask. Yeah, so both of my parents were researchers at the National Cancer Institute. They were virologists and immunologists. And they were, you know, starting an interesting time where um, these ideas that viruses could directly cause cancer. And they investigated many of these cancer types that were virally induced. And so as a kid, I sort of wanted to do something different. So I, I basically tried everything I could. I 
I was thinking of going to law school. I was thinking of uh, becoming a teacher and I tried all these different things, but eventually I sort of caught the same bug that they had to do research. And I tried to sort of differentiate myself by uh, doing more cancer biology. Um, but, you know, the interesting cycle of, of, of life and research is that now a big thing in cancer biology is immunology. So it's sort of, in a way, come full circle now studying something that my parents studied decades ago, immune responses and how they can affect cancers. What my parents taught me about research, you know, it's an amazing thing to be able to benefit people in society, but it's also just very intellectually stimulating. And you get to meet people all over the world who are doing research, and it's just really a great way to connect uh, with different people. So since I've been at UMass, it's been Really great being here. The community has been fabulous. Everyone's been so nice and welcoming and very collaborative and um, doing both great basic research and also research that I think has a lot of potential to translate into helping people, which is ultimately what our goal is and what has always been my goal in research to actually benefit people. When did you come to UMass? We came up here uh, during the pandemic, actually in March of 2020, because my wife's family lives up here thinking we'd be here for two weeks and we we're here for three months and we got a, got the position at UMass and, and moved bought a house close to the area and been here ever since but yeah it's been great I mean you know the community's mentioned has been great and I love sort of living in Massachusetts and we have two little kids and you know having a backyard and some nature around us has been great yeah there's no better place to be if you're going to do science um, so you talked a little bit about making how, how science is great, academia is great for making connections all over the world. One of those connections that you made and that had an impact on your life is with somebody named Michael Green. And you two had quite the special connection. Michael uh, was my department chair. He was the person who brought me to UMass, actually. And he, me, myself, another uh, professor, Will Flavan, were the last people he hired, actually. Yeah, Michael's just been, you know, was fantastic about his vision, about bringing people together. I mean, this is a person you mentioned wearing many different hats. Uh, you know, he was the head of our department, vice provost of research, director of the Cancer Center. So he, he had really this vision to build up the Cancer Center. You know, UMass is really known for RNA biotherapeutics treatment of rare genetic diseases, but cancer, not as much, right? And it's something that we're sort of building. And it was really Michael's vision, uh, you know, to build this EMAS, bring in, you know, um, fantastic new researchers to build bridges between basic and clinical and also other um, expertises at UMass. So he was an amazing visionary person. And so, yeah, one of our goals, unfortunately, since his, his passing in February, it's really sort of continue his vision of building the cancer center, building these bridges and collaborations at UMass. Yeah, as you said, he passed away um, quite unexpectedly in February of 2023. And um, his impact and his presence and his wit and his laughter and his knowledge are, are sorely missed by so many in our community. But um, we're delighted that the mission continues and that the cancer team is getting stronger um, stronger by the day. So, all right. Well, Dr. Rossetti, this has been fascinating to hear more about your work and we wish you well with the ongoing studies. Thank you so much for making time. Yeah. Thanks, Jen, for taking time and uh, for, you know, this platform to allow us to share research with the broader community. Really appreciate it. Of course. And thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Jennifer Berryman. If you like the Voices of UMass Chan podcast, 
Think about subscribing on the platform where you listen to podcasts. And if you have a topic idea or a suggestion for a future episode, we hope you'll email us at umasschancommunications at umassmed.edu. Follow us at UMass Chan on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. On YouTube, find us at UMass Chan Medical School.